Welcome everyone to another weekly debrief. Each week, Caitlin and I take on a case from our backlog of must-see films that either one of us or both of us have not seen. In our debrief, we'll provide not only our opinion to the film, but we'll also discuss its significance and influence in both the film industry and overall culture as a whole. Along the way, we'll provide other fun trivia and insights on the film. Now, a little bit of a difference here in this show. Uh, as you know, it's always Caitlin and I. However, Caitlin's not going to be here. I've been advised from my legal team not to say much on the investigation, and my HR has also advised me to forward all questions to our PA up. Not really. She's actually just really busy. Couldn't be here for the show. However, uh, it's not going to be just me on the show, even though that has been a popular demand. I have here with me Dion Loose Cannon. Hello, Dion. How are you doing? Doing good today. How are you, Brian? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So the reason we have Dion on today is not only to have a second host on the show, but also he is here because we're going to be discussing a black exploitation film, and that has relation to the film that he is currently working on that uh, Caitlin has mentioned on the show before as well, Ultra Black. That's correct, right, Dion? This uh, your movie does have a is it connected or it just has an influence from black exploitation films? Uh, just an influence from black exploitation. Some of the racial themes that are brought up, mirrors, reference come up in black exploitation films. So I thought it was a, a good way to sort of nod to those other other films that deal with this similar type of narrative or racial storyline. Nice, nice. Like it. I can't wait to talk about it more. You guys are probably wondering what black exploitation film are we going to be doing today? Well, you know, of course, with all black exploitation films, we have to give it the proper the proper intro. So today we'll be talking about the coolest of the cool, the one that made studio heads look like fools, one of the originators of the black exploitation, a film movement that swept this nation. You probably guessed it. We're talking about Shaft. Now, Dion, this is a movie that you've actually seen before, right? Yes, I've seen it before years ago. The original, the sequel, the next sequel, the remake. So yes, I've seen it in various forms, um, but I rewatched it recently, so I had a fresh perspective on it. Um, now that I'm more educated, better discuss some of. The and did you see the the reboot reboot as well in uh, 2019? Yes. Okay. How was? That one, I didn't hear great things about that, but you haven't seen pretty much all the shafts, or I think that's all of them. How did you like that one? No, not good. <laughs> <laughs> Simply put, not, not good. Uh, I think the 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 remake with Samuel Jackson, uh, Samuel Jackson, that came out in what was it, uh, two thousand and eight? Yeah, uh, see when that was. I think he had two um, of them. He had the one yeah, in 2000 he, and then another in 2009. Yeah, and the one in... So he had... Because he had his standalone out in 2000, uh, which I really enjoyed that one. But then the reboot came out in 2019. And that one... That that, that one was... No, I would not recommend 2019. Now, with the influence to your film from the black exploitation. Are there other black exploitation films you've seen as well? Yeah, um, I've seen Blackula. I've seen uh, more recently. I watched one, The Thing with Two Heads. Uh, <laughs> that so to give a little bit more insight into my film, it is sci-fi. So I lean more heavily onto the campy sci-fi black exploitation films rather than you know like Shaft or Sweet Badass. Uh, so. I, I lean more into those campy horror sci-fi films from the black exploitation era, uh, era, just to see uh, like where we could draw some funny references from. While we're talking about your film, what is your film? What what is it about? My f short film Ultra Black follows a black high school who, because of his studiousness and nerdy interests, is constantly he acts white. This characterization of him into a racial identity crisis ultimately makes him believe that he is turning white that is other or not he is um so it's a funny but i think also uh topical take on this you know this characterization or this criticism that's been around for a year 
anything that has to do with being intelligent is linked to whiteness. The negative effects it has. Black students, because they try not to have this, or they feel less of, uh, lesser of their race. Yeah, that's in a nutshell what it's about. I encourage you all to check it out. Check out the social media. It's Ultra Black Film on all popular social media platforms. So like, follow, subscribe, and soon we posting what film festival it's showing at, and we hope. I'm definitely sold on the film. As our audience know from our last episode, that that commentary on you know what it means to be black and that that stereotype that we have is a conversation that I'm passionate about as well. Caitlin and I had a deep discussion during our Boys in the Hood episode in reference to that. And then also you you got me with sci-fi, black exploitation. So I'm I'm all in. Going back to Shaft, just want to give you guys a heads up. Our first portion is going to be spoiler free, so don't worry about that. I'll go ahead and give you a heads up when we get into those spoilers. To add, I have not seen this film before. I actually haven't seen any black exploitation films. The only one I've seen is a parody, Black Dynamite, which is a hilarious movie. If you haven't seen Black Dynamite, I definitely recommend that movie. And I've seen, what was it? Uh, I just watched Dolomite is my name. Now that's not actual black exploitation. It's just the it's the biopic of Rudy Ray Moore, who was one of the um, I don't know if you could say founder or, ju- or just one of the influencers of of black exploitation with Dolomite. And that that movie provided some good insight as well. It was kind of a standard biopic, but it's had a lot of energy. It was a lot of fun. And if you want a good Eddie Murphy movie, if you were recently disappointed with you people, I would recommend that movie. Shaft is not only a just one of the originators of black exploitation, but it's also a generally acclaimed film. This has a 6.6 on IMDb. It has a 88% critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes with a 68% audience rating. Just a little surprised the audience rating is a bit lower, but I, I think I can see why. This did win an Oscar for best song for the Shaft theme, which I, I totally understand. That theme is a big influence. Uh, a lot of people have tried to recreate that theme song. Did they have that theme song or recreate that theme song in the reboots and the remakes in the sequels? Yes. Uh, yes, they did. They did. Did it come close to the original? Or I I, Actually, I don't think they remade them. I think they used the original and just, you know, probably enhanced sort, sort of the instrumentals. Okay. Put a little modern production behind it. Yeah. And it was also nominated for Best Original Score. Both of this was done by Isaac Hayes, which he almost actually didn't get the nomination and the win because because of a dumb technicality by the Academy. He didn't actually have the song written down, so they weren't going to... They were trying not to give him the award, simply for that. This is also included in the 1001 movies to watch before you die. Dion, is there, do you know of anything that may be missing as far as what the, the critics and audience say about this movie? No, I think you hit, hit the nail on the head. It was one of the founders, if you say, for of the black exploitation movie. Very influential. Very popular audience. Many people didn't expect, especially for a black-led film. For those who don't know, Shaft is about a black PI, private investigator, who is hired by a mobster to look into the case of his kidnapped daughter. Uh, During this time, there's actually this conspiracy going on, overarching the whole situation that may lead to the destruction of the neighborhood. He then works with, and I say works with, he more kind of pushes them around the, the local police. And he works with a, a leader of a black movement within the city as well. So kind of connecting all these pieces together to keep the neighborhood from blowing up. Dion, you being the guest, let's go ahead and give you the honor. What did you think of this movie? I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, obviously, it's very low budget, so I expected some ridiculous fight choreography. I expected a bit of overacting, but... It's hard not to see some of the greatness of it, uh, per se, because you figure during this time period, we're only less than a decade out from civil rights. So for a black-led film to have such a 
authoritative figure or someone who seems to be in charge. It was it was very spectacular to see, and I could imagine how black audiences felt when they first saw it uh, back in the day. So again, I enjoyed it for what it was. Is it is a great movie? Um, not particularly. Uh, definitely a lot of flaws in my uh, story plot holes and also performances are subpar across the board uh, especially from a modern lens uh, but again if you think about when this film was released and think about who was viewing it at the time and try to view it from that angle realize how little funding this film would have gotten you can't help but see the accomplishment that it was so yeah ultimately i enjoyed it i definitely respect this film and i agree with you when you say that you enjoyed it for for what it was i think for what it was and then imagining if i was to see it back then uh yeah this this is a good movie looking at it from a modern lens and watching it today uh yeah not not i didn't see it as that great of a movie actually it was i paused the movie about halfway through to go do something and that's when i noticed the runtime i realized half the movie was over it was like 49 minutes and I was like, "What? Was, nothing even has happened yet in the in the film." So it's it's a rather slow film, and it, I don't know. It just has like some spots. It doesn't really drag, but there's just moments where it's not really doing anything. Though I did like the the final act. I did like the climatic infiltrating the 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 hideout. That was really cool. I liked their plan and how they went about that. Like that right there, I felt like encompassed the the best part of probably the, the black exploitation films and the draw for it all. But before that, I don't know. There were like some some hits and some misses. The performances, you said, yeah, were subpar all around. That I kind of expected. Shaft was cool. I will give him that, except for his like his insults and his one liners and comebacks. They were oddly timed for me. Like he would insult somebody. It wouldn't even be that great of an insult. And then he would just laugh and walk away before they could say anything. <laughs> and Which I guess works. And I may have to try it out myself. Because somebody asked him like, hey, man, what are you doing later? He says, getting laid. And before the person can say anything, he goes, ha ha. And then just walks off. I felt like his uh, his comebacks sort of reminisced like a high school student who just couldn't think of anything better to say because he often referenced what the last person said to him and, and then just made it seem as if it was funny and then laughed it off but yeah the the comebacks were definitely not as suave as he presented himself as a character no, no not which is almost funny in itself but not in the way the film had intended the the fight scenes the fight scenes I actually liked uh, I thought they were going to be a little bit cheesier, but I think for the most part, they were they were pretty good. Uh, the shootouts as well were all right. I found some of like the, the scenes to be to have the, the exhilarating factor to it as well. It was also interesting to see somebody actually like be in a firefight and actually be one of the leading characters and actually take bullets. Because somehow, usually with all that automatic gunfire in a room, the they got that plot armor on and they make it out of there. Yeah. But other than that, I, I did like the, I guess, main antagonist, kind of the, the one running the, the whole show here, uh, Bumpy. I thought he was cool. I liked the, I really liked all the scenes with him, which is only two or three scenes. And then I liked the Shaft's buddy, Ben, as well. I also enjoyed the dynamic between Vic and Shaft. Um, again, Looking from the time period that this film was released, it was probably not very common that you had um, a white man who sort of seen Shaft as a superior figure to him and like listened to him and believed in him. Um, so I thought that dynamic was interesting. Do I think it was authentic? Probably not, but I thought... You know, I was like, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I, I like this. <laughs> uh, again, playing into sort of what the audience who probably viewed this film wanted to see. I really did like their dynamic uh, Shaft and uh, the white officer Vic. 
I like that dynamic too, and we we've seen that kind of in in film other films as well. Because Shaft really is he plays by his own rules, and I think they portray that well. And I think he was real he was real smooth when it came to that. And I guess this was kind of like a follow up to In the Heat of the Night with um with Sydney, kind of. But during that time, they were like equal law enforcement, him and his white counterpart. And then this one. They allow the black lead to step it out once more, and he kind of, they have like a mutual respect for each other, but he kind of pushes them around a bit. But it's because he, he knows what's up. He knows that he's going to be able to take care of it. Oh, wait, hold up one second. Sirens just came through. But that's because Vic recognizes like he is a good PI. Like he's going to be able to take care of business. So this being your, what is this, your second time watching it? Yes, it's my second time. Did you enjoy it more this time around? Did you have any different thoughts? I enjoyed it more this time around. Um, I was pretty young when I first saw it. So this time around, I really got to take in everything that was going on. But yes, I did enjoy it. I feel like I would enjoy this more second time as well. Like knowing what I'm getting into, I think I expected a bit more from this movie. More in what sense? More in a so thinking just about like what I've been told about black exploitation. I think I was expecting more, more action, uh, more of a upbeat feel to it. And this is kind of a, a slow pace noir until again, it gets to that, that climactic infiltration scene, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that I had to, uh, I had to fix my expectations while watching it. Yeah, I would agree. I think Shaft is more tame than what it eventually the movies it helped spawn. So yeah, I think it was more tame. I think it's, like you said, it's a bit of a slower film, less action than expected because it is the beginning of the black exploitation. Um, I don't think it really hitched uh, sort of the peak that it uh, it did in like 1973 where it gets really, really ridiculous and out of pocket, sort of flying and such. But yeah, so... In that way, Shaft, you know, Shaft is, it could have been a great, a good film and not just a good black exploitation film. Uh, but I think you start getting hints of what it come in black exploitation. I think people really picked up on, oh, this is what was successful in Shaft or what audiences seem to react to. And then you get deeper the black exploitation, more ridiculous care, uh, stereotypes that are brought out. But later on, hmm. yeah, I think there is a lot you can look at this film and pick from. I see why this is such a influential film, and we'll talk about that again during the during the influences. So I think you know, just again looking at it from a modern lens and having seen so many movies build upon this and and do it better. That's I. I can't really say it hurts the film, but that's that could be why I didn't enjoy it as much. But yeah, if I was to see this back in the day during 1971 when it actually premiered, oh, this would have been fantastic. I, I, I don't know if I would say it, it would have been a great film still, but I would say it would be, have been fantastic to see, like just a great movie experience. Anything else you wanted to say about the, the film itself before we move on? I mean, it might come up later in the episode, but I do want to discuss this film may have empowered black men in a way, uh, but for women, especially black women, this film is empowering. And I, I do want to make that note that in this film, women were nothing more sexual objects. So that's something to just address is <laughs> the fact that this film was very sexist. I know it was geared toward a male audience and obviously the male fantasy is to have a woman just by your side no matter what and but it's definitely something that for me obviously um was a drawback to the film i don't know how audiences reacted to it in the 70s uh, there's a lot of depictions like that in earlier films there's not much substance to their character so but this one was really very two-dimensional. Like, I have sex with, and then I go do <laughs> Yes, actually, that bothered me, too, especially because he has, he has, like, he has a girl. I, I guess they're not an item or whatever, but, so yeah, he, he does have this, this black woman that he spends the night at her house, 
And it seems like their girlfriend and boyfriend, she tr- he trusts him. He trusts her a lot. But then he goes out one night and he decides to sleep with this woman. Now, I'll give the movie props because he sleeps with a, a white woman and he puts his hands on at least a topless white woman. And in 1971, I bet that was a big thing. So, you know, props to them for doing that. But looking at it from a story point of view... I mean, this is the guy we're cheering for, and I'm not really like sure what's his thing. I, I guess now they're trying to say he's a player, but that it, it just feels tacked on at this point. Like I feel yeah. like I feel like this was the part that was just kind of trying to be what's it called? It was trying to be not really shocked, but try to be a bit controversial with having a nude scene in it. But again, they could have done that with the black woman. They could have just kept him with her or just yeah maybe had her be just one of his girls but for them but for the movie to make it seem like their boyfriend and girlfriend and him to go off with this other girl it it, it was just a weird it, it made you question the character right because obviously we went through this film meant to respect this character and for him to have someone that he seemed to be have been committed to i understand if this was sort of a response to the James Bonds of the world where rogue uh, sort of detective who goes off and he has like sexual escapades everywhere he goes. But I felt like the character that Shaft went home to, they played it in a way that it seemed like it was a committed situation. So that ended up playing in a stereotype in my own, the black man being sexually like ravenous anything you can get he'll he'll take um but i do understand like what you mentioned obviously it was by intention that that second was a white woman he gives her all of (laughs) all of a few hours and then tells her leave just to show like uh his black exceptionalism in the way of yeah i can pull white girls but i won't give them the satisfaction of thinking that i am committed to them in any sort of way um which again is a daring thing to put in a film i would say uh back then so but again yeah the the whole part with the woman at home that he seemed to be committed to i don't know it was never established that they were so it made me lose some for the character again i don't know how that weaved by audience back when it released obviously again through a modern lens and uh sort of modern day morales this just didn't play well how i interpret and if they were going for a james bond thing that that would have been cool you know seeing with multiple women whatever you know you can kind of even made a parody out of it and just have them have like a ridiculous amount of girls kind of like when black dynamite wakes up in the beginning and there's three women in the bed or i think it was like four or something i think there was another one at the foot of the bed but in, in this one in there's actually another scene I had in my notes, and I couldn't remember where why this quote was in my notes, but now I remember. They're talking on the phone. He calls her late at night. So again, this is a woman that he, he respects, he checks in with, and she says, I love you. And his response is, I know. Take it easy, baby. So obviously there's some kind of, at least there's a commitment on her side. And they never address that again. And then the next time we see him with a woman, it's not her. But yeah, not, not the most empowering. For females, I'm not sure if there's. I think I've heard of like some black exploitation films having more empowered females, but kind of in like an action sense. Definitely Pam Greer, uh, Foxy Brown. Yeah, Pam Greer is the one I always hear about. So as far as the influence, we've talked again and again about this being a black exploitation film, and to give you guys some more insight on that, what black exploitation actually is, is the combination of of course black and exploitation uh and that these exploitive films and that's what they were kind of do they were exploiting they were exploiting sex violence crime for entertainment and they were led by black people this started in the 70s with uh what is the movie called again dion sweet it, uh, the film is called Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song and followed by Shaft. As all film movements go, those films did really well and the studios took notice of that and they all started trying to recreate the formula to come in and, 
and make that money. So these films, they discuss all kinds of taboo subjects. They invoke controversy. It was kind of ironic with some of the characters because they were ones that you don't expect to be protagonists or heroes. You had drug dealers, kingpins, pimps, uh, such as Superfly, who were, you know, the, the, the ones that are actually saving the neighborhood. Granite Shaft's not like that. He's a private investigator, doesn't have any, any ties to crime, anything like that, except for maybe some history knowing them. And this is something the double, uh, the NAACP took notice of, and they're actually the ones that gave this film movement the title of black exploitation. Though they started to have some issues with these films and the way that they were depicting black people, seeing how it was kind of taking a step back and reinforcing the negative stereotypes that not just white people, but all people were having for black people. Now, it did have the positive because black people were always winning. This Before these films, black people weren't winning in films. When If they went against cops, Shaft, he runs away from the cops here. He kind of he, he pushes them to the side during this whole film, and you've never seen that before. And we, we see these films, they went after the man, as they call it, the, the white people in power. Uh, though I was saying this film, they took it a little bit easy. They, uh, and I don't blame them, I think this was a, I mean, if I was a studio head at that time, I think this was a good move. The The white antagonist in this is actually Italians. It's the, it's the mafia, it's the mob. And we talked about it in The Godfather. Italians were still in America at that time. They weren't really seen as white. I think nowadays, like everybody, if you, if you're from Europe, you get grouped in with Caucasians. You get grouped in with white people but back then the Italians were kind of they, they were separate so having them go against them it didn't make Shaft as controversial as the ones to follow and this went on to about the 80s when it died out just because there was too many there were way too many films uh, as studios do they just keep putting out more and more you look at the when Twilight started the vampire movement and we just kept getting one vampire movie after the other till it just, we were like, all right, we had enough. Or the spoof films. Between the seven, uh, within the 70s, they made 200 black exploitation films. So that was, that was way, yeah. Talking about 20, 20 films a year, black exploitation. And the reason they were able to make so many is because these were actually low budget films. And I'm pretty sure as well with them having black leads, they probably didn't have to pay them as well. And it wasn't just black leads, but black directors, black composers just a black cast and crew so it was a good opportunity for black people back then getting into the film industry because this gave them this gave them a lot of roles to do unfortunately though once this died out a lot of them did lose their jobs because this is what they were just being hired for not to take on their their other films is there anything else that you want to add to the to the history of the black exploitation films dion uh not to the history. I think you pretty much nailed that. But I'm guessing we'll, we'll discuss further about, you know, the significance of black exploitation and what it did for filmmaking for black filmmakers. Yes. Yep. We'll get into right. that. Cool. Um. Then no. Uh. That was a pretty concise history of black exploitation. I don't. I don't know if you mentioned that. The NAACP, um, along with a few other organizations, yeah, coined um, black exploitation because they felt it uh, it amplified the stereotypes of black community, and they didn't necessarily. Um, so, along with exploiting sex and violence, they they felt more strongly about the exploiting of black community and the fact that uh, they filmed these movie inner city neighborhoods pretty much said these films uh, these films displayed those neighborhoods as crime ridden and once these films were made and made all these profits no money ever seeped back down to these that they exploited uh, so yeah the NAACP definitely was not the biggest <laughs> supporter of the movement but it, things have things often have beginnings and this was the first real time studios were like, oh, black people are profitable. I guess that is exclusion in itself. Uh, but with that came opportunity. So the double-edged sword. Wait, are you saying that Hollywood was being exploitive? Never. <laughs> they would never do such <laughs> a thing. Don't, they don't do that. Yeah. They don't do that. 
I'm glad you said the the word double edged sword because that's actually what I use quite a bit during our Boys in the Hood episode because the the hood film movement was was sort of the same thing. It was a double edged sword. It was like, yeah, great, we're getting black filmmakers, black artists, black actors in these films, but now it's glorifying the negativities of the hood rather than kind of enlightening people on the situation and empowering black people as much. So it's like, great, we got jobs, but you know, it not everybody wants to tap dance. Yeah, and with Boys in the Hood, you gotta think it was an accurate depiction of a certain, you know, of of a certain community. Yes, it that is part of uh, certain people's lives. But then after Boys in the Hood, Ice Cube went on to do Friday, which showed you a different component of living in inner city under fun neighborhood. So, without Boys in the Hood, obviously that came with a bunch of white tears, empathy. Uh, so, that's pretty much always... <laughs> Sadly, that's always the first thing that sort of catches the attention of uh, Hollywood, is the films that tell a sad story that make people feel sad. But then from there, you can move forward, hopefully. You can move forward and start to tell different stories stories of love and of growth and like community so yeah it it's all a double edge and black exploitation is a great demonstration of this and the influence it had like i said after this film you just got more black exploitation films like they just started exponentially increasing the the first year after there were eight black led films that year you gotta think for it to happen right this movie was released in july so that means that all these studios saw this in july and were like we got to go into production right now and they got a movie out the following year as we mentioned in the beginning as well this had two reboots this also had three uh three sequels uh for the original film so this movie yeah people wanted people wanted more studios wanted to make more you know, for some work, some didn't. Isaac Hayes was the first black person to win an Oscar for Best Song. Like we said again and again, this is one of the first and most iconic black exploitation films. And as I just mentioned, this kept MGM from going bankrupt, which I was really surprised by. MGM is one of the longest running movie, movie studios, uh, one of the biggest in the film industry. They actually, though, they just got bought out by Amazon or acquired by Amazon. I'm not sure if it's actually finally gone through, but you'll see MGM Plus and pretty soon to Amazon. But it's funny that the the creators of Gone with the Wind were saved by Shaft. And this also spawned the first franchise with a black lead. Like I said, there were a lot of films to follow up from this with Shaft. Yeah, Shaft goes to Africa, Shaft and the big score. And you said, uh, Dion, you had something for the significance as well? Yeah, I'm just... Uh... We had the City Portier films that came out, which did speak to white audience. So the money was being made mostly by white audience. For better or for worse, black exploitation, the money was being made by black audience. And that's when studios really got a sense, oh, there's money by making films for black audiences, not necessarily films for white audiences featuring a black person so there is a significance there where there was a bit of a oh wait there there's money that can be made from the audience itself which obviously like you said spawned several films um, that tried to imitate this or recreate this style of film and with each new uh entry it got more and more watered down and more ridiculous more campy more out of pocket to the point of oblivion where it was like all right now black audiences have uh sort of they understand that they're being mocked at this point they're under they they realize that their community is now the butt of the joke and no they sort of being held to high regards um but yeah it and from there once it went to oblivion when black audiences no longer wanted to engage with these types of films. Then we get the Spike Lees, which then shows inner city uh, 
communities, black communities that tell more like significant messages. So there is a significance there. I don't think black exploitation is like the blip in the history of black filmmaking. I think it's a very integral part where it's like sort of showing the vices and just short of, I don't want to say I agree with <laughs> having to go the route, like diving into, but it happened and it became a gateway to studios realizing that black audiences will flock to the theater and then from there once they realize oh black audiences aren't liking this what's the next thing what's the next thing that we can pull them back they start looking for different types of filmmaking and from there black filmmaking became more story driven so there is a significant i don't think it's in vain there are good enjoyable films within the genre and obviously there are films that hey you, you there's there's a soul plane everywhere <laughs> there's a soul plane everywhere unfortunately there you know there's something you, you learn it's a learning experience it's a learning experience we wouldn't have any of the modern day black films in that opportunity to showcase that black audience want their stories to be told uh like what you said they realized that they can it wasn't so much about making money from everybody but they realized they can make money from black people and there was a market to be had in that i don't know it seems like every race outside of the white race kind of had to pay their dues at some point or not dues was that would suggest they owe something but it's similar with Asians and Kung Fu movies. That's all they were getting. And Italians and mafia gangster films. That's all they were they were getting as well. You know, before Hollywood started just putting him in spots that you know it didn't really matter so much of the race that they were. It's it's just like you said with the with the double edged sword. It has some good and it has some bad, but it is definitely uh, widely significant and it was a it was a stepping stone that was used well at the end of the day hollywood is and still is run by white people uh, majority white people back then completely run by white people and white people that they were the center of the world point blank so with these white studio execs they only thought there was money to be made from white audiences. From there, they learned that white audiences might want to see some diversity. They might want to see a black person. They might want to see a uh, East Asian person. And and they end up seeing what connects to white audiences. You said like East Asian they uh, audience uh, East Asian films that communicated to white people ended up being kung fu films, and that's what it was for quite a while until they finally realized and obviously with East Asian that they realized that the audience they can make money from Asian audiences very lately with crazy situations uh that oh yeah these communities would be willing to come out to theater if they got to see what they prefer to see of their community so it's just a unfortunate aspect of the world is that yeah Hollywood is still a degree run by white execs and it's just this fact that they they seem to figure out things that seem obvious to anybody uh they seem to figure it out very late like oh oh we want more money well black people would want to come to the theater if black people saw black stories asian people would want to see asian stories so it's unfortunate that that's sort of how they move into the into the uh it's unfortunate that's sort of how they come to realization that diverse good thing is by uh, by figures monetary figures like oh yeah this is how this is how we make more money we'll make we'll make lgbt stories we'll get lgbt audiences in <laughs> and it's just unfortunate that that's sort of it's not actually them becoming more righteous and realizing <laughs> This is how we move the world forward. It's like, no, this is how we make more money. And then from there, they make they make more. Uh... Yeah, it's, it's so much of a numbers game. It's not even really like 
overt racism. Honestly, if Hollywood found out that they could make money just showing white people being beaten for an hour and a half, they would probably go out and still do it and, and film those movies. You mentioned uh, East Asia, like when the Chinese box office was a huge thing and then all the movie movie studios started to started to appeal to them. They were putting Chinese actors in roles just so they can throw them up on the poster so that they can sell to Chinese audience. It's a constant number game with them. And you know, when we say that white people are in charge of Hollywood, it's not even so much it's we're talking about a certain type of or a generation of white people. It's mostly baby boomers that are in the positions of power, not just with Hollywood, but just everything that's above us, the government, Hollywood, music industry, whatever. And not saying that baby boomers are, you know, more are, are racist or anything, but I think they're just a little bit more ignorant to the like the actual trends like they you got to think about somebody who the top people in Hollywood have probably been in that seat for like over 20 years they're detached from society nothing against them it's just that's what happens when you get into power and things that like you said seem obvious to us like yeah how did you not know that but they they don't they have some person that comes up to the office once a year and says hey this seems like how the world is moving and what they're cool with right now and this is how you can make some money they said okay all right let's go with that and that's what happened with these with these black exploitation films they say hey black people have money and they said what the what since when all right let's get on it anything else you want to say towards the significance of the film uh toward the film you know, black exploitation wasn't a genre till after um, Shaft was created. I feel like Shaft, its intentions were to be a straight edge noir film, whereas uh, Sweet Sweetback's badass song, there's some more campy elements in that, and more stereotypical perceptions of blackness in that uh, film. Uh, where Shaft, I feel, was the more tamed one of the two, but obviously it did well. So the elements of Shaft that did well were mixed in with the elements of Sweet Sweetback's badass song that audiences reacted to. And then, like I said, the black exploitation film, as we know, or the genre as we know it, the stereotypes, the sex and violence. Like gratuitous amounts, obviously, sex and violence and Shaft, but Shaft, I felt it was just trying to be a regular PI story. I don't think there were a lot of racial messaging. Uh, there was a lot of racial messaging in that they did refer to race practically every scene, but I didn't think it went as far as what black exploitation became, where it was very racist imagery and very counterproductive toward movement or the progress of, of black people. Um, so I just wanted to put that out there. I think Shaft tried to be a, a, just a normal story. And then from there, the genre that got created after it took everything to the extreme, started pulling and, you know, like you, you mentioned, like you thought this didn't have, as much violence as you expected. It didn't. It was just trying to be a noir. And the films that followed were like, oh, people liked all that fighting. So then it becomes every scene is a fight breaking out. Oh, people liked that pimp character, that drug dealer character. And then everyone in the film, every black character in the film is now a pimp or a drug dealer or a prostitute. That's when out of hand. When it was just like, like I said, it became the communities were now really just in becoming the butt of the joke. Everyone in Brooklyn, everyone in Queens, every black person is some seedy character and then there's one black savior of 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 the community and, and then there was just no more redeeming value. Whereas Shaft had, in my opinion, again, very sexist, so that's not a redeeming value. Uh but <laughs> uh, you know, he it it, it had a unification of the community in it. That's what I really rewatching it was surprised by and knowing what black exploitation was. I liked the fact that Shaft, Bumpy, and Ben organized together. 
So there was a bit of a empowering situation there where your bl- the black characters, despite being at odds with each other, Shaft's the PI, Bumpy, Crime Lord, uh, Ben, drug dealer, come together for a common cause. I thought that was a surprising element. And that is what gets lost in the future films within the genre is the fact that Shaft was supposed to be about black power and black empowerment, but it gets lost. It gets lost. You you figure Friday the 13th is about, uh, sorry to take this really left field, Friday the 13th is about a woman who is avenging the death of her son, and then studios go, how about we make the next one about her son coming back to life and killing the... And and then from there, we get him in space. (laughs) 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 let's let's have him fight another another horror villain so (laughs) it's just how how things go is where people realize what's doing well and then they lose sight of what (laughs) what what is ridiculous and what is like so shaft i don't necessarily think it is a black exploitation film but i think it is the birth of black exploitation. I definitely agree with that. I'm glad you brought up horror movies as well. You know, with Friday the 13th, I was going to bring up something like Night of the Living Dead and uh, Dawn of the Dead, which had Dawn of the Dead has a social commentary. Night of the Living Dead speaks more about the, the, the characters and how they act in a, you know, perilous situation. But then, you know, following that, we have a crap ton of B movies, B zombie movies where it's just all about, you know, how much gore can we make? How how well can we make it seem that someone's having their limbs ripped off or something's eating at them? And a lot of black exploitation films were B-movies as well. And I think all, with all B-movies, they're more interested in just the craziness of it and the craziness of filmmaking. And they just want to get, you know, what, whatever's in their head, they just want to put it out into film, whether it has a story to go with it or not. I think at the end of the day, throughout time, for some reason, no one, some people get it or some people get it right. But we always believe that people are in it for the spectacle and not necessarily the story. So there's a handful of good sequels that get it right, where it's like, oh, wow, that was a strong story. But most sequels. Most sequels try to amplify the spectacle. You always hear in the, the trailer, like, oh, we the, the action sequences are bigger. There's a lot more going on. And, you, and then the audiences don't like it because it got inflated. Um, and that's just, that's just the nature of human storytelling is sometimes we get it right. But most times it's always... Oh, I think people enjoyed the spectacle of this first one. So let me up the spectacle. And then it's like, no, <laughs> we liked we liked the connection. That's what we wanted. <laughs> oh, all right, let's 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 try this again. <laughs> yeah, we that is a symptom of sequelitis. And I think it's because, I mean, the spectacle does work, but it doesn't work long term. It works for a while. It works for a good couple films. Like you look at Transformers. The I mean Transformers is all about the spectacle. But eventually that ran out as well. Uh, with the with the Marvel phase right now, the MCU phase four, five that we're now on. It yeah, it's you know, the spectacles after Endgame, the kind of spectacle kind of died out. And and now the stories have fallen and people are starting to check out. So the spectacle does help for a bit. And I think it's because the spectacle is also, the spectacle is what's going to make your billions of dollars, except Titanic. Nobody, nobody understands how Titanic made a billion dollars. Nobody's even trying to figure that one out. Oh, that's, that's just James Cameron. Everything, everything James Cameron does is enigma. No one knows. James Cameron is a box office magician. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's and one guy trying to piece it together, and he's been working at it for like 30 years. Uh, I think James Cameron buys all tickets. <laughs> I can see that. But <laughs> I think that's what's going to happen with Avatar. Everybody's saying with this new Avatar, yeah, it's a it's a spectacle. Like, it's it, uh, it's it's something we, we have not seen before. But 
you're talking about five films. You got three more films in you, possibly more. I think after this third one, if this story doesn't kick up, it's going to take a fall in the fourth and the fifth. Speaking of the box office, who would you recommend this movie for? The Between general audience and cinephiles. Uh, definitely cinephiles. You want me to elaborate? or? Yeah, why would you say cinephiles over the general audience? Yeah, I mean, again, maybe the general audience. Well, they did connect to it. They probably still connect to it because, like I said, Shaft isn't out of pocket at black exploitation. So the general audience could appreciate it. Cinephiles would probably appreciate it, especially black filmmakers. Evident, uh, no black filmmaking today that uh, credit their success to the the creation of black exploitation. Um, but it's an appreciation of the, t- the tides sort of changing and people culturally what people to view. Um, I didn't necessarily think it was filmed badly, which was impressive. I'm actually very interested in learning more about the, the making of it. Um, cause the visuals, it was, it was pretty good, decent cinematography didn't have any significant gripes about it. Um, from an acting standpoint, over dramatic, <laughs> very over dramatic, but more uh, nuanced performances than really become. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 cinephiles because it's part of the history of filmmaking. Look back at what was made. That's what I did on. <laughs> so I, I think cinephiles would enjoy it because they can go. The idea of right, this is. A piece of its time. Yes, I would go with cinephiles as well. They, yeah, there's a lot to look at this from that point of view of just looking at the history of film and filmmaking. General audience back in the day, I would recommend this for, but modern general audience, I know. I, I would say there's there's other there's other films in the noir genre that you can watch that are are better films and are going to appeal to you more. All right. Now we're going to go ahead and introduce the spoilers into this episode. So if you have not seen this film, pause it here, go ahead, watch it, and then come back. If you don't care about the spoilers, or if you've seen this film, then hey, continue with us. Dion, you were speaking of something earlier, and you were a little bit worried about pulling up the spoilers. What was it? Oh, I was talking about sort of... Alright, so something that really surprised me about the film, uh, knowing sort of the elements or characteristics of black exploitation film was the fact that Shaft seemed to bring black people together or the black characters together despite them being at odds. I thought that was uh, surprising and which leads me again to believe that Shaft necessarily isn't a black exploitation that led to the genre then was created afterwards um, because you figure we had Shaft, the PI, we had Bumpy, the crime lord. Ben, who is a drug dealer, who all sort of teamed up to go against one common enemy, which were the Italians. Uh, you could sort of hear the sort of racial indication, sort of what they were trying to state with this film. So I, I felt like it empowered, like it showed this unity, like, oh, when we come together, we can fight this common cause, which sort of gets diluted from from there and further films. Um, but that's one of the elements that I really enjoyed about it. We had these three characters, which do I necessarily think they should have teamed up? No, because Bumpy was responsible for Ben's, uh, <laughs> some of Ben's men getting killed. Uh, but it ultimately, the morals of a, of a, criminals was oh if you just pay me more money i can forgive you for this and help you find your daughter (laughs) um but that aside (laughs) overall it was these uh yeah three three black characters who should be at odds with each other but they team up and they try to figure out how to resolve the situation is getting back bumpy's dog yeah so that 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 is a surprising element of the character of black exploitation. I wish we had more of that. I, I like that aspect a lot in the film, seeing them team up against a common enemy. Then, uh, like I said before, I 
enjoyed the the climatic scene, the infiltrating the hotel. Even though I have some problems with their with their plan, there seems to be a lot of collateral damage. That like even Vic has to be like Shaft. Come on, man! Like you can't you can't burn down a whole hotel because that's pretty much what they did. I don't know if the fire hose will be able to take it out because everything's damp now, but he throws in like a wad of paper. He throws a, he throws a fireball in the window, which I guess I can kind of get, but I don't know why you couldn't think of a better plan. Like, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, the whole film was plagued with bad, <laughs> bad, like ridiculous decision-making or rationale. Uh, from the beginning, I was scratching my head sort of the fact that Bumpy sent people out for Shaft and yeah, instead of just like Shaft even said to him, like, you know where my office is. <laughs> it, it, it it didn't seem called for that he needed to be followed in order for Bumpy just to tell him, hey, I have a, I have a case for you. And then from there, it again, got weird with the fact that Bumpy sent Shaft on this wild goose chase to go retrieve ben which ultimately could have led to him getting murdered or killed so that didn't make sense when bumpy was already fully aware that his daughter had been kidnapped by the italians so the film is plagued with some very loose and not well thought out logic Uh, (laughs) but it's enjoyable it was fun (laughs) i mean picked apart the most recent Fast and Furious entry, I'm pretty sure, will we'll also see gaping lapses of logic. So, yeah, I, I think it's very simply written, I would say. I compl- I just completely forgot about those those henchmen. Yeah, that made no sense, that plan to tail them. Because it ultimately leads into one of their deaths. But yeah. It, it feels... I don't know, it just feels cruel, but it's funny because I just watched Blade 2 for the first time, and they had that same issue where they sent in the messengers, but they pretty much just wanted a fight scene as well, so the messengers start fighting your uh, your protagonist team, but the only reason that they're there is to deliver a message. Like You know you guys can just call, go up to a front door, say, hey, I have a message for you. You don't have to put a gun up to them and then ask for help. Though Bumpy isn't concerned at all. He's like, yeah. I don't know. I feel. I feel like he figured that was going to happen. Yeah, he. If he had any knowledge of Shaft, as the film sort of, uh, and, and like showcased the character, I'm pretty sure he was aware that yeah, my guys will probably get killed or beaten up badly by this guy because he seemed to be a very loose cannon uh, character. So that, yeah, again, I put all logic aside from that point on and then from there it was a smooth ride where i was like this makes no sense hey this was filmed in the ninth in 1971 and it has a very cool black lead who's taking charge and a white man what is what (laughs) i'm on board for now yeah there was another one where he was at the bar and it seemed like he was going to get the italians drunk to get information from them, but then he ends up just arresting them. This was a, I was like, this could have been done like 10 minutes. Right. Yeah. I think that, I think, I think it ultimately it came down to, I, I definitely think there were some type of influence from the James Bonds because there was no need for the disguising as the bartender. That wasn't, that wasn't necessary, but I think it was just like, oh, this is what the white audience is like in their, uh, from like spy aspects. So we're going to, since Shaft is our, our, uh, black protagonist and we're trying to showcase this cool new story, we should have them do like that, like from like James Bond. And then ultimately we get the, the James Bond aspect of sleeping with every woman lays eyes upon which was problematic for this film necessarily established like james bond or shaft wasn't established james bond where it's just yeah he just wasn't he he seemed committed i guess also with them with them drinking straight booze which is a unnecessary line 
because the one Italian asked, like, oh, that's straight booze. And I thought, you just saw him pour straight booze from the bottle into your glass with no addition of anything. What what did you think was going to be in it? But I guess that's uh, to go against James Bond and his martinis, gin and tonics. I forget what type of man he is. Actually, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, martinis typically uh, shaken a stern. Uh I didn't catch that reference, but maybe that is a clear nod because James Bond at the time was it still is an MGM, um, I guess Amazon. Yeah. Uh, so Shaft being MGM, uh, it had a direct sort of connection to the franchise where it was like this is what our studio produced is doing well from from a spy film. When we're doing this PI story, maybe we look over there for some fun reference we can put into ours. Yeah, maybe that was a direct of nod to sort of brother production that's happening. Speaking of that, them being the same two studios, uh, if, just, if Jeff Bezos is listening right now, which I'm sure he is, uh, when you go through the MGM files, please leak the pitch for James Bond and Shaft crossover because I know it's there somewhere. Somebody, there's a test screen somewhere. It probably exists. It has to exist, um, especially with how campy James Bond became uh, after a while. A James Bond chef. It was probably done like during the 80s too. So it was, it was probably also like really racially offensive. Like either it was Shaft going into his world or James Bond going into his world. Uh, now I kind of, if that doesn't exist, I want to write that. As you should. <laughs> Anything you want to talk about while the spoilers are up? The police sort of hold Shaft's authority, authoritative like figure where know his worth, let him stick to it. Uh, even though, again, another lapse of logic was the fact that Shaft, his his case never, it was never of interest to the police per uh, per se because I guess he got this silent case from Bumpy. And the police were only really chasing down what was causing the violence in Harlem. So, uh, Vic was hounding him for information. Yeah, it's also the way that it ends. He he tells Vic, he's like, hey, it's your case to close now. And thinking about it, there wasn't really much of a case to close. It's not like he (laughs) solved anything. He just participated in a gang war. Yeah. Like I said, the police were never really trying to track down either of these organizations, uh, but I guess Shaft <laughs> created, like, oh, here's this crime that you weren't looking for, and now continue following the leads of these criminal organizations. Uh, yeah. I guess if you look at it as like a containment, he did contain the war into one level of a hotel. So I, I guess Chef is the, is the ultimate hero. I, I don't know. Again, he participated in a gang war pretty much. Yeah. And he, he did it for money. <laughs> Bumpy paid him. So great guy. Great guy. We talked about it a little bit already, but does this film hold up for you? No, <laughs> it does not hold up. Um, this could not be released today. Most things about it from from like a story standpoint and then also so the acting it was very overacted. It was very melodramatic. There were huge shifts in tone um, which were were jarring at times. I just remember a particular bumpy crying about his daughter being kidnapped and then Shaft is like pretty much saying like I'll get this done for you. and then quick like tempo shift and he he goes but if you ever send men after me again I'll kill you <laughs> that was fast um and then also you know the sexist elements of the film uh the two dimensionality of the female characters you can hardly even call them characters were pretty much props in the film uh that wouldn't hold up in the modern day action was the choreography you know with with films from the 70s you're used to a couple punches like you can clearly see them not landing but this one's pretty over the top and had people 
being punched and flying four feet back. <laughs> so it doesn't hold up if it were released today, no. But that's why, again, I think anyone who watches any file just have to go in with the era in which it was made and the message that it's trying to send and the audience that's watching it. And that's what makes a, a, a significant film. I wouldn't necessarily say a good film, a significant film. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. All those reasons are, yeah, it just, it wouldn't be, it, it wouldn't do that well to today's standards. And also I think there's just, there's other movies that have taken this formula and have done better with it, especially in the noir genre. Um, and also saying that, I just remembered another person that received influence from this film and kind of the exploitation was Quentin Tarantino. A lot of his films uh, take from take from these movies. I'm not sure so much of Shaft. Uh, I will also say that Quentin Tarantino's um, treatment of women also as, as well is not a dated or is dated a bit uh but i know like jackie brown is probably the biggest one and i haven't watched that in a while especially when i watched that i didn't know about black exploitation films but yeah with there being better modern takes and just the issues with this film it doesn't hold up too well on a letter grade system what will you give this i would give it a c yeah i'm right there with you uh c average film no, not not a bad film. I didn't I didn't like dread the dread the watch. I wasn't struggling as I was going through it. I mean, it's actually a pretty quick film and while not much happens in that first half, it goes by quick. I, I was surprised when I was already halfway through. Now, this concludes our Black History Month celebration. This is the the last film of the month and now we're going to be going into March and we're going to take I don't know, I feel like this one is kind of a drastic change, but the next film we're going to be doing is When Harry Met Sally. Another romance film, a significant rom-com film. This be kind of the third or fourth that we've done, depending how you see uh, Coming to America. So go ahead, watch that movie, come back and listen to our episode next week. Until then, we're going to be in HQ and you can reach us at our Instagram and Twitter at OpSilverScreen. You can also find us on Facebook at Operation Silver Screen. You can also find us on our letterboxes. You can find me at Swank Seal, capital S, capital S. And you can also find Caitlin at Coffee Spoon Kate, S C A I T. And Dion, where can they find you? Or if you don't want to give out your personal information, where can they find your movie Ultra Black? Uh, you can check out my works on my website, uh, www.filmsbydion.com. Dion spelled E E O N. And if you want to stay up to date on Ultra Black, uh, follow Ultra Black Film on all popular social media platforms, being TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're posting updates all the time and keeping people informed about when and where they can see the film. But yeah, check it out. And I appreciate you being here. It's definitely, uh, I think we had some really good conversations. You definitely had a, a lot of information without Caitlin here that definitely definitely helps out as well now i think i think wouldn't be a far reach to say we should probably get a petition going for you to replace caitlin (laughs) um we don't want to be like shaft and uh (laughs) reduce reduce the female uh perspective ah that's true that's true no but she'll be on for the the next show actually we already recorded it so you'll hear from caitlin again till next time i'm brent i'm dion see you